Hello and welcome, Friartown. Today is March 19th, and we are going to be joined by Fox play-by-play broadcaster for college basketball, John Fanta. I am Billy Ritchie, and this is the Friar Podcast. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to episode 14 of the Friar Podcast. I'm, of course, your host, Billy Ritchie, and today I'm joined by somebody Steve Knapp calls a Big East legend and one of his favorite people in all of college basketball. So that, sh- that alone should get you all excited for my guest here today. This man, every time he comes on the mic and calls a Friar game, whether from Alumni Hall or the Dunk, we get excited because you can hear the genuine passion and love for the game that he has, specifically Big East basketball, being a Big East alum. And he's just a fun person in general and somebody that everybody in the Big East has come to know and love. I think everybody knows who I have here with me right now. John Fanta, welcome to the Friar Podcast. Billy, it's great to be with you. Thank you for having me. And that is quite the honor of an introduction. It is really special to cover a league with fans whose passion is felt day in and day out. And I mean that. I really do. You know, I grew up on the west side of Cleveland where Browns, Indians, and Cavs are the the life, the blood of the city. I mean, they live, breathe, sleep, die, all those teams. And when I was searching for a college, I ended up going to Seton Hall. But what I wanted is I wanted to be able to cover something that really people are invested in. And quickly it became apparent that people are invested in the Big East Conference and just the traditions the rivalries, the schools. It is so much fun. And I see that through Providence fans all the time. I very much enjoy going to Friartown because I've developed some tremendous relationships there. And that's what that's what, why we love doing this. It's, it's how we've developed a relationship ourselves. So it means a lot at the age of 25 to get any, to hear the word legend attached to your name. I, I'm very humbled by that. Uh, you know, that that's very humbling and I'm very grateful to hear that. I just try to do my job daily and I appreciate all the people who follow it. Absolutely. And and you could see it. You could see the love that you have for and the passion. Like I mentioned, you're a fellow Hoboken, New Jersey resident. We live probably within the square mile of each other. So, you know, that that's pretty cool as well. And for those who don't know what it's like to work in sports media, I'd love for you to tell our listeners first, you know, whether you're a fan of PC or whether you're just a fan of the Big East listening to the show you know, what did it take to become the John Fanta? You know, you're always, you're always tweeting, you're always out there active, you know, trying to get yourself involved in everything Big East. Like, how did that all come together for you when you got over to Seton Hall? Well, it came together through the athletic director at Seton Hall, Pat Lyons, who kind of taught me to see beyond just what was happening on campus. You know, he, he taught me about Fox Sports and what the television partnership is and just the art of, of creating relationships. And for me, like I, I've always been a people person, Billy, but it felt like at Seton Hall, I got the keys to being able to open doors up, you know, and, and form relationships. And I just ended up doing anything and everything that was asked of me at Seton Hall. And my freshman year at Seton Hall was also the first year of the reconfigured Big East. Mm. So while a lot of people in the first year of the reconfigured Big East were saying, this isn't the same as the old Big East, nothing will match the old Big East. All those <laughs> which, uh, again, the old Big East is in a class of its own. This right. version of the Big East is in its own class. 
It's not a knock at all. It's just how things go through time. This new Big East has been very, very good. But back to how I got it going. When the Big East reconfigured Billy, the only thing they kept was their name. It would be like a restaurant name keeping its name, but having new ownership and a new menu. Mm-hmm. So they they didn't have any broadcast personalities outside of the people that worked at Fox. And so they were looking for people to tell their stories in cross country, in track and field, in baseball and softball and soccer. And they thought, let's develop a student program, a correspondent program that allows students to get real life experience and do reports for us. Great idea. Like we see with Big Ten Network Student U. That's a program that they do at BTN. This is kind of the Big East version of it. They reached out to me, started my sophomore year. They had seen some of my work from women's basketball. And they, and they said, can we talk? I remember going into New York City. I took NJ Transit in. And I'm this kid from Cleveland looking at a massive skyscraper. The Big East office at the time was in the same building as a lot of what Apple does. Uh, excuse me, Microsoft. Microsoft. And it was at the Proskauer Law Offices. That's at 40 seconds, a huge skyscraper. And I remember going up the elevator and I thought, man, this feels special. This feels special. And it was special. And that day, a relationship was formed with the Big East folks. They said, can you cover our league? We'll have you start by doing soccer and cross country. And it just kept growing and growing and growing. And through the growth of, it really starts with the student athletes. You know, if you're going to grow a following for your audience, you got to have the kids you're covering kind of be, be with it, right? Like, you know, those good friendships and relationships. And throughout my time at Seton Hall, I ended up doing internships at Westwood One at CNBC. And then after my junior year of college, Fox Sports. And so when you combine the fact that I formed a relationship with Fox, a relationship with the Big East, when I got to my senior year of college, I was thinking of going the local news route, Billy. And instead, I took the step to host Big East Shoot Around. And through that has come play-by-play opportunities that has added visibility. And that's how this has all kind of formed through the years. And it's a huge credit to the coaches and the players for giving me a chance to walk into their doorway and tell their stories because without them, all this wouldn't be possible. And it really has started, Billy, not with my play-by-play, but my role has kind of started by interviewing people. People enjoy listening to conversations and they have fun with it because I, I just try to talk to people like the regular people because that's what we are. A hundred percent. Exactly why I created this platform. I wanted to have yes. all Friar guests, Friar esteemed alums, current current staff just come on and tell their stories at the end of the day. So I look at it the same way. Everybody wants to hear from the guests and everybody wants to hear their story. And, and that's something we didn't provide in, you know, when we were growing up in the nineties, you know, it's, it's something that was kind of like held back from the people. So very glad that, that that's your story. And you talked about relationships. You have an amazing relationship with Ed Cooley. I mean, it, you could just tell like your, your Twitter background is, you know, you laughing it up with him and, and Kevin Willard, like, can you talk about how you got to know Ed and you know, what you love most about him? Well, Ed and I really got going uh, on a preseason shoot in 2017. That's when we really got the wheels rolling. Um, we went to Providence to do a bunch of features on the Friars for basketball. And one of the features we were talking, I was talking with the Providence SID, Arthur Parks. Mm-hmm. I said, what can we do with Ed that might be a little bit different than other features instead of a regular sit down? And he said, well, why don't we go to LaSalle Bakery? Ed likes it there. You guys can go have lunch. You can talk about random things. 
I love LaSalle Bakery. The bread is unbelievable. Everything's unbelievable. And um, we sat down in there and we started talking about everything under the sun and had a blast. And, you know, through that, I think Ed had seen me as a student and as this kid trying to hustle. But I think that day we saw each other as guys that could trust each other and guys that just got along, guys that could talk about anything. And that's how it started. And then I was covering Providence. Um, it, it helped that year. Let's see, 2018 now. Yeah, it helped that year that they advanced all the way in the Big East Championship game. So I kept seeing that. You know, I'm covering that. I'm covering Providence. When Providence has been good, I've, I've typically been in the building to be there for a big game and cover the Friars. And we've just formed – it's through those interactions and kind of through Ed's personality. I have an outgoing personality. He has a similar one. We've really enjoyed each other's presences. And it's been a lot of fun to be able to, to develop that relationship because he is first class. He is. He's a great person that cares about you. And that's what I love the most about Ed. His energy is infectious, Billy, but he cares about you. It's not a fake energy. He's not a phony. He genuinely loves his kids. He genuinely loves Providence College. That's why he didn't leave for Michigan. He is a family man with two wonderful children and a wonderful wife. And this guy is a person that everybody should look to for an example in life. Um, I really believe that. And I know I'm waxing poetic about Ed Cooley, but I think he's been a game changer on the campus of Providence College, not just as a basketball coach, but as a human being. I mean, John Rothstein says it best. Ed Cooley, the American dream. Yes. Comes directly from the south side of Providence. My family's from Providence. A lot of my listeners know that I'm a big fan of Ed Cooley and it's simply his story. His story is just beating the odds and the fact that he's been able to do it with such grace like you said he cares ran into my dad one day at the providence civic center and they were just chatting it up and he didn't even know he was my dad just treated him like gold you know like and i and i I happen to know ed pretty well so it's like you know the guy just time and time again just shows that he's a consummate professional and and he just really cares about the kids and transitioning back to the big east as a whole this was a very unique season we had some teams like the Friars who played 26 games. We had DePaul who didn't even play 20. There were stoppages. You know, there were different things that came into play for different groups at different times. You know, you had Seton Hall and UConn, unfortunately had a tough start. And then you had DePaul and Xavier have some breaks in between. You know, what were some of your favorite moments from the season and being on the inside of something that was truly unique? Well, to your point, it was a unique season and As a result, a lot of the coverage was done remotely from inside our homes. That being said, you have to credit the conference for taking COVID-19 protocols to the max degree. Not every league necessarily did that. And I think that, Billy, it paid off in the Big East tournament, that the conference had kind of at at times gotten criticized, like Xavier pausing again, come on, you know, and And the Big East isn't going to allow these games to get rescheduled. Look, 87% of the conference games were played. The whole conference tournament was played without disruption. That's a big step for the league uh, in a season like this one, in a season as crazy as this one. It feels like there were a lot more pauses than 87% of the regular season games, but there was a really nice late season surge. Some of my favorite moments, Kobe Jones, days after he loses his grandfather, hits a game-winning shot for Xavier. Now, it came against Providence. Friar fans didn't like seeing that, but it was really emotional to see Kobe Jones deliver in that moment. Elsewhere, Butler shocking Villanova, a young Butler team 
I think they've got a bright future. I thought that win was spectacular uh, for the Bulldogs. Seton Hall played Villanova at Villanova. One possession game, nip and tuck the whole way. Outstanding, outstanding basketball game that came down to the wire. I think after Christmas, it was almost a sign of, hey, Big East basketball, here we go. Providence and DePaul, double overtime game. Probably the most underrated game of the year because it was absolutely ridiculous Mm -hmm. just how good of a game it was. Um, So I would look at that one as well. So I I just look across the board. What a blast. I mean, there were so many terrific moments, all culminating with the number one moment. And the number one moment is Patrick Ewing, 49 years to the day that John Thompson was hired by Georgetown, hoisting a Big East championship trophy inside the world's most famous arena. That is better than any Hollywood script could even write. Unbelievable stuff, Billy, for the Hoyas to come all the way back. And it all started with the home game against Providence when they fell behind by a lot. That was the start of nine of their last 11 games have been Hoya wins. A remarkable run, easily the top moment in the Big East this season. A miracle by Georgetown to now be in this spot in the NCAA tournament playing at Hinkle Fieldhouse Saturday. I mean, even if you're not a fan of the Big East, you got you to gotta be pumped up for Patrick Ewing. You, you got to be excited because Georgetown is a brand, especially if you're a Big East basketball fan, if you're a Providence fan, you want Georgetown to be good. You want their brand to carry you and, 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 you know, and bring notoriety to the conference. So huge shout out to Patrick Ewing. We'll get into some tourney picks in a minute, but I want to go a little bit deeper into that Big East tournament. It was really unique. We had Butler, we had Georgetown, and we had one more upset. What was the what was the third upset um, in, in day one? We had Butler, Georgetown. We had well, we had Seton Hall beat St. John's, which wasn't that big of an upset, but but it happened. You know, right. I mean, it still was a five over a four in the tournament. Yeah, right. We had some upsets. We had some overtime games, of course. You and had, we had DePaul over Providence. Right, right. We had I was, DePaul over Providence. It, that, that was my joke there. It's like you know, I don't remember that last one because I have a short <laughs> memory. But um, sorry. I forgot about it too. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Um, yes. Paulwood too, they got rid of their head coach shortly thereafter. Right, right. So that's one that Friar fans that we're going to erase from our memories forever. But at the end of the day, we had some upsets. We had UConn. We had Creighton, of course. You know, they've looked great at different points of the season. And then Georgetown takes it. What was it like being a part of this year's Big East tournament, especially without fans? We know how important college basketball is with fans in terms of energy. What was the garden like without fans at the Big East tournament? It was awesome. I mean, in terms of the fact that it was amazing to see Georgetown pull it off and it was awesome to be inside the building. It was a blessing, a blessing to be inside the building. It was also not even close to what the Big East tournament typically is. And that stinks. That stinks. You know, I would say it's it was awesome because I was in awe of what I was watching. I thought the Creighton-UConn game was crazy good, mm-hmm. and I thought that Georgetown's run, simply amazing to watch. But, Billy, this was not the same, mm-hmm. not even close to the same. I wanted to see 17,000-plus inside the world's most famous arena. I give the Garden a ton of credit, a ton of credit for pulling this off and for pulling the events off that they're, that they're pulling off and making happen. It really says a lot about MSG. Of course – if any building's going to be able to pull off the, the amount of different things happening inside the garden, remember they have COVID stuff happening inside the Hulu theater. 
Like people don't realize Madison Square Garden is part of the heart and soul of New York City, always has been, but literally right now, they're part of the pulse of this city with everything they're doing between protocols, events. They're trying to get New York started back up. And it felt like that. It felt so good to have an event inside MSG and be inside the building to watch that take place. Was it the same though? Of course not. You want to see fans there. You want to see Providence and UConn fans going at it on a Thursday. I actually think it might be poetic justice that they didn't play on Thursday because that crowd would have been too good had the building been full to to have the the pain of it being empty, you know, with nobody. So it was amazing to watch because the Big East tournament intensity level was still the same. And we hadn't felt that in, you know, any, in two years, but was it the same? Not at all. We miss the fans. The fans make the garden walls talk and they make the Big East tournament special because they come from all areas, all walks of life. It's special. Of course, I was at when PC won the Big East Championship back yes. in 2014. And I can't tell you that those those Creighton fans were so nice to me when we won. They were like, oh, like, it was your day. And I'm like, could you could you be meaner to me? Like, you know, we're from the East Coast here. Like, you know, like, like you're, you're about to lose a championship game. Uh, you, can, <laughs> you, you could not be friendly to me for a second. But when when thinking about the Big East teams that are going to be moving on to the NCAA tournament, we have Creighton. They're facing in a 5-12 matchup against the Gauchos. We have a couple people out here, here out in, you know, in the, the NCAA world who are picking the Gauchos. We have Georgetown who's coming off of a Big East title um, playing against Colorado. We have Villanova against the Winthrop of the Big Sky. And we have UConn against the Maryland Terps. How do you think each team is going to do um, in the tournament? And uh, which one should be on upset alert right there in the first round? From a matchup standpoint, UConn matches up well with Maryland. And I'm going to tell you why. Maryland plays five out. They do have Aaron Wiggins, who's a terrific player, the brother of Andrew, and has led them in scoring. But the Terps are young. They don't rebound the basketball particularly well. That is Connecticut's strength. Connecticut's going to out-rebound you. They're going to outwork you. You have to find a way to match that work rate. I think that this is a friendly matchup for Connecticut. Because of Booknight and Cole. If R.J. Cole is healthy, which it appears that he's coming out of uh, concussion protocol and is going to be okay in this game, I like Connecticut because I think Cole and Booknight can match what Maryland does in their backcourt. And UConn can make it a physical game inside. Adama Sonogo's averaged 13 points per game in his last four games. Who's on upset alert? Creighton. Why? Ja'Cory McLaughlin is a senior guard who does a lot for UC Santa Barbara. And they have another kid named Amadou Sal, who's a big man presence, makes things happen for the Gauchos down low. This team is 22-4. and four. They have barely lost this season, and that's for good reason. They also play in a quality mid-major league. The Big West has pulled off upsets in this tournament before because they have the competition. They have the length to match up with teams. And I don't know what kind of mental state Creighton is in heading into the big dance. I like the Gauchos upset hopes in this first round. I actually think Villanova can beat Winthrop because they've had over a week to get ready for this game. And I think Jeremiah Robinson Earl and Jermaine Samuels, the talent level of those two and their physicality and their ability to hit 15 to 17 foot jump shots is something that Winthrop has not seen. When you go inside the numbers with Winthrop, their Ken Palm is 92 and their strength of schedule is terrible. It's outside 300. They didn't play anybody. When they play Villanova, that's going to take some adjusting. Now, will Villanova struggle offensively and, and could beat themselves? Absolutely. 
Villanova also has not been a good defensive team. So we'll see what happens, but I'm not, you know, I'm not as high um, on Villanova or Creighton heading into the tournament. Georgetown's kind of the X factor because they're playing with house money. Colorado's a slow you down team and McKinley Wright is a tremendous talent. He'll be the best player on the floor in this game. I think Colorado Georgetown has a chance to be one of the great games of the first weekend. And actually, just before we jumped on this interview, we go into my next question about your final four prediction, which was yeah. Alabama, Illinois, Baylor, and Gonzaga. I'm wondering, yeah. is John Fanta rooting for Gonzaga to go all the way undefeated? Well, I'm not necessarily rooting, um, but I think it would be an amazing story. And I also think anybody that's hating on the Zags, why? Why? You know, if you're going to have the first undefeated national champion in 45 years since 76 we haven't seen it wouldn't it be great for it to be Gonzaga and not Duke or Kentucky or one of the blue bloods also the last time that Duke or Kentucky were both not in the tournament 1976 I think that this is great I think that this is a tremendous story I know people don't like the favorite or the unbeaten but this is a Jesuit school in Spokane, Washington, that's not supposed to really do this. And Mark Few has built them into a national power. They have the deep, deepest backcourt in America. They have the best three-point shooter in the country in Corey Kispert. They're loaded. And I expect the Zags to be cutting down the nets. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a great story. Um, in an unpredictable year, really looking to see who's going to you know, go on that Cinderella run. Um, you know, yeah, we're, we're, great we're point. On, yeah, we're, we're obviously we're obviously bummed our Friars aren't in it, but we got to talk about the 2020-2021 Friars. I would describe it as a season that didn't match up with the defensive intensity that we're known for. I would say that our offensive consistency past David and uh, and Nate was tough at times. Like you think about it, it's like Jimmy Nichols had his time where he was playing well, he got hurt. Jared Bynum had his time where he was playing well, he got hurt. Alan Breed had his time where he was playing well. He had to readjust when Bynum came back. It just seemed like every, everything didn't click um, at the right time for the Friars as they needed some wins down the stretch to really save the season. And you also broadcasted directly from Alumni Hall. Tell me what it was like watching these 2020-2021 Friars and what it was like being inside of Alumni Hall. Well, what it was like watching this team was it felt like this team was missing a connection throughout the season. It felt like it was David Duke and Nate Watson, and they had to play really well or else Providence wasn't going to be able to win. And that gets attributed to the fact that H.A. Reeves did not take as big of, an, of a rise as people thought he could take. That's just the reality of the situation. When you combine that with Jared Bynum getting hurt and relying on a freshman in Alan Bree to do a lot of work over a period of time, the backcourt for the Friars had no rhythm. No rhythm and really had no rhythm on the defensive end of the floor. Bynum, small, Reed, a freshman. It's hard to be able to own the point guard matchup. And then if you have David Duke on that point guard, then somebody else is going to be left open. So as a result of kind of having some undersized elements in the backcourt with not great play at the power forward spot for the majority of the season, that put the Friars at a disadvantage, and it felt like they were constantly battling up a hill. But Alumni Hall, to answer your question, weird, strange. You know, it was cool to broadcast inside such an, uh, a historic venue. I'm thinking of 
the Friars of long ago, Ernie DiGregorio, playing and suiting up uh, in PC colors to, to play inside Alumni Hall and just thinking of the Rick Patino practices that must have taken place with Billy Donovan back in the day inside that building. But, Billy, it was not the same. Um, you missed the dunk. You missed the Dunkin' Donuts Center. And I hope Nate Watson has a great senior night and gets that ovation next season that he deserves because you, you felt bad for the seniors. It's hard to show any real appreciation when you're in COVID times. You're so distanced. You're, you're practicing protocols. You're worried about popping a positive. So Alumni Hall was cool in the idea that we got to broadcast from a traditional building and we were really on top of the action because it's such a, it's a band box, but it was nowhere near the same as the Dunkin' Donuts Center and the, the Friar fans filling it up, going crazy no matter who they're playing and making it one of the best atmospheres in college basketball. And I can't wait to see that back in action next year. Let me make this clear. I think back to it because you asked me how the garden was and I said, awesome, because I thought the tournament was pretty cool. But I want to make this clear. I hope we never have to go through this again because this was not what sports is supposed to be. You know it with your experience. Sports is meant for fans. The fans make it drive. They're the motor in a lot of situations because they make a venue pop. Alumni Hall with no people in it was, it felt like it was a scrimmage. I want the feeling of a Dunkin' Donuts Center on game day. I want all that. I want the pink out. I want that fryer inflatable that wouldn't even fit inside Alumni Hall. I can't wait for that. Well, for a lot of us Friar fans, the only game that we had attended in Alumni Hall was either the makeup against Seton Hall or was the Houston Baptist game yeah. a couple of years back. So it's really kind of foreign territory for us. And as Doug Gottlieb once said, the dunk is where ranked teams go to die. And it is. It, you know, that, that's exactly how I look at it. Like it's the ultimate, you know, home court advantage of a city of people who just love college basketball. And I think what we saw earlier this week with Nate Watson, which I would love to talk about the interview you had with him, that that's exactly why he's coming back. He wants to have that experience at the dunk. He wants to play in front of a senior night in front of 12,500 people from Providence in the greater New England area. And we're really excited. He's coming back. Would love to hear, you know, what you think his ceiling is for, you know, him coming back for his fifth year and David Duke as well, you know, Associated Press, honorable mention, all American. Is he realistically a first round pick? Is he going to be coming back? What do you, what do you think about, you know, the top two options for the Friars in 2021, 2022? Well, let's start with Nate Watson averages around 17 and seven per game this past year. I thought he took a massive leap, a massive leap from 2019-20 to 2020-21. And that's encouraging for what he could do next season with another season of conditioning, another off-season of conditioning, and just that that common bond he has with Ed Cooley. And I think that, Billy, when you have a true post-presence, develop, get older, stay old. I was getting texts from Big East assistants yesterday who had the, ah, like, I got a GIF. I have to look it up. It was like a... It was like an F-bomb gif of saying, I really do not want this guy back because I'm tired of scouting for Nate Watson because he is a forklift inside. That being said, David Duke. I did talk to a couple of people in the NBA draft round yesterday about this very topic. And they told me that right now, David Duke's looking more like a second rounder in their eyes to potentially not getting drafted. Now, that's, that doesn't mean that David couldn't build his stock. I know that some mocks have him in the first round. 
But Billy, I think after evaluating here, it's going to be very interesting. Look, if you're a first rounder, you capitalize on your stock. But I do see a world where David Duke comes back for the Friars. I do not think it's a foregone conclusion that he is gone. Um, Why not come back to school, take this team to the tournament, get a degree, and build your – David Duke's always going to be super athletic. I don't get worried about his age. You know, he's, he's a tremendous athlete. I actually think he could use another season in college basketball. Yeah. And, you know, for, for David, would just love that he goes through the process and he gets the right feedback and they tell him, hey, these are the things you got to work on or this is, you know, a realistic point where you're going to get drafted. You just hope that the process is as transparent as possible and it works out what's best for him and would love to obviously have him back for a senior year. I mean, God, he's the prodigal son. He, 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 is, he is the kid who grew up down the street who's – you know, taking on so much pressure on his shoulders to to lead a Providence Friars team he's been a fan of since he was a kid. So we we wish him nothing but the best. And to two more players on the Friars that kind of came up in different spots of the year, Noah Horkler. I mean, Noah Horkler definitely turned it on as we went along this season. And Alan Breed had a great freshman year as well. Can you talk about the impact that each kind of brought to the Friars at different points of the season? I thought that Noah Horkler added offense when the Friars really needed it. Uh, near the end of the season. And I thought that he played with a better intensity level. Part of it's just you're going from North Florida. You're going from a mid-major territory to a power conference. I think he had to adjust there. I think there was an adjustment period for Noah Horkler. But I think that he he got his feet under him. He was helping them down the stretch in the season. And a Big East assistant told me yesterday, he's an X factor for them going forward. So that's good news for Providence. Like, I thought that Noah Horkler gave them what they had been looking for from the four spot throughout the entire season. It's why Greg Gant transferred. It's why Chris Monroe transferred. They simply didn't deliver. They did not deliver. And offensively, they were liabilities. Let's turn to Alan Breed. His performance at Creighton was the shining moment. He managed the game so well. His floor game was good. He was chippy. He hit a couple of big-time shots. I like this kid's game. I think he plays with a chip on his shoulder. I think he's got a toughness about him. There's room to grow. There's room to grow. But imagine what another off-season, what a normal off-season does. Remember, if you're a freshman, and Pasha Alexander proved this wrong, but when you're a freshman, you come in, like in a season like this one, it's hard enough as a freshman in a normal season, nor alone in a COVID season to become accustomed to what you're doing, and nor alone when you have to back up a guy that then gets hurt, Bynum, and your role gets increased tenfold. So for me, if I give Alan Breed a freshman season assessment, I say, solid, room to get better, but I think he can get better and will get better. And for a kid like Alan Breed, the experience of playing at IMG Academy against some of the best, I think really helped him and made him more of a mature, heady type of player going into his freshman year. As for Noah Horkler, you know, it's easy as a fan base to get on a guy like that, but exactly right. He transferred from North Florida in a non-traditional year and he got going at the end and, and again, just provided a lot of spark, um, you know, in an inside out presence that we really needed at the four. So you mentioned Greg Gant and Chris Monroe out. What are some things that the Friars should really be looking for in this offseason as we know Ed Cooley's working hard right now to, you know, solidify this team going into next year? What are some things that the Friars should look for to really turn things around? Shooting. I mean, they need to they need to find consistent perimeter shots. They they have been a team that comes and goes from beyond the three-point arc now for the last couple of years. 
you got to find guys that can hit threes consistently and you got to find three and D guys. What they could use is some effective length. And what I mean by that is can you find six foot six, six foot seven, six foot eight positionless guys that can defend any position on the floor and knock down perimeter shots. It's not as if they need some massive game changer, especially if Duke or Watson come back, they need better complementary players. They just haven't gotten the depth. They haven't gotten the, Hey, we can try this to throw in a wrinkle at a team type of player. Could they use a, another point guard slash shooting guard potentially? Yeah. I mean, that, that would be good to add into the fold and have as part of the rotation, but I really look for them to improve at the three and the four. I just don't think they're great enough there right now. The power forward slot has still has a question mark next to it throughout long periods of, of games. So I think that that's really important for Providence to identify some of those wing players they can pick up, potentially another point guard just to add to the fold. I know that they'll have guys coming back. I know that Bynum and Breed are going to be back. But I still think it would be effective to add someone in that could make sense. If not there, then maybe at the two. Look, I, I've said it every year now for the last couple of years. Duke and Reeves, Duke has delivered. But I think Duke is even better when Reeves is playing well. Now, the, the game at Georgetown would, would beg to differ this season. But for the most part, that's been the case. Reeves has to figure himself out this offseason. I mean, and if he doesn't, then you got to have a good replacement option there because you rely on him to do a lot of what you're trying to do offensively. So I think that's huge. And I think their top need would be kind of a positionless Swiss Army knife player. 100%. I mean, when you think about Ed Cooley's successful teams, you think about LaDante Henton, you think about Alpha Diallo, you think about Rodney Bullock. Those are those positionless three, four guys that can just do it all, rebound, step out, you know, get back to the basket when need be. Absolutely agree with you on that point. And I initially phrased this question a little bit different, but I'm going to bring it up in this manner. John, for Friar fans since the new Big East, have we taken for granted the consistent amount of success that we've had season in and season out? I think that Friar fans have a great level of passion, uh, but there's always going to be a year where things don't go your way. In the last couple, I mean, they were supposed to go in the tournament at the end of last year, but it's hard. It's hard to get there. Um, and I think that to a point, you have to look at the success you've had. I know Friar fans want to make an Elite Eight or a Final Four, and that's Ed Cooley's vision too. And that's why I expect Ed Cooley to reevaluate some of the things that he's doing within his program this offseason. We're already seeing some players who have transferred. Remember, there's two sides to a transfer conversation. The coach talks to the player, the player talks to the coach about the reality of the situation. You know, and, and you're going to make a decision collectively about this type of stuff. So – I think that you do take for granted a little bit the consistency in making it to the big dance, but also understand the realistic expectations for this program. It's really difficult to get to an Elite Eight or a Final Four. The next goal needs to be, can you win two NCAA tournament games? And I think it's doable, um, but I think that, that part of it is, Billy, recruiting's not everything. You know, they brought in the, one of the best recruiting classes in program history. That class has panned out some, but not wholly. You know what I mean? Like, not to the degree in which people thought it would. You got to develop kids. You got to get killers. Like, you had Kyron Cartwright on your podcast last week. That's the key to running a successful program. Look for Ed Cooley to get back to his roots a little bit. I don't know if Friar fans take it for granted. I think, though, you have to appreciate what the program's been through before this season and understand that the program is still in an okay place. 
hundred percent. And when you think about two of the best friars in the past decade or the past decades now, Bryce Cotton, Marshawn Brooks, not highly touted guys. And they come in, they're killers. They come in and they do what they do and, and, and they want those big moments and they become primetime players. So totally agree. It's about finding a balance of, of, you know, top recruits and guys who are going to do everything you need to win. John, we usually ask this question at the beginning of the show, but we were just diving right into it. I, we're going to get into your final thoughts for Friar fans here, but John, do you have a favorite restaurant every time you come down to Providence to broadcast games? I do have a couple of favorites. Um, I will give them to you. I love Andino's. I think Stiena's fantastic. Love the meatball. Old Canteen's interior, the pink interior, always makes me feel good inside. I know there's a couple places that I have not been yet. One one place that has really good pizza that I have to hit up that's more like modern in downtown. I'm trying to remember the name of it. it. Would it be Providence Coal Fire Pizza? Maybe it's Coal Fire Pizza. There's another place as well that, that Kaylee Griffin always reminds me of on Twitter that I uh, have to go to. Uh, yes, K- Kaylee Griffin, my my uh, my year of PC. Just, just Your year of PC. Yep. What are some of the other Italian restaurants? Maybe that'll come in my head. Oh, oh, um, you're thinking about Al Forno, aren't you? Yeah, Al Forno. I've never been to Al Forno. I mean, it is. It is really good. <laughs> okay. I'll add that to my list. Next season, I'm going to Al Forno. Casarinos is why I love their mozzarella. All great places. And then I, I make sure, I mean, I always end up at that Cheesecake Factory because I take the Amtrak back. Right. And that's right across the street from the station. Um, but I love staying at the Omni because the Flemings is downstairs. I don't think you mentioned a bad one there. That was a that was the most extensive list of all my guests, and I and, and I really <laughs> and I really do I really do appreciate that you had a nice wide variety of options there. It's not just about Italian. You got to show some loves to the Flemings and and those types of places as well. But John, it's been absolutely fantastic to have you. Some final thoughts for some Friar fans to close things out here. Take a breath and brace up for the off season. I think changes are coming. You got the David Duke development to watch, but you have the transfer portal's going to have 1,500 names in that neighborhood inside it. Ed Cooley, do not, do not get worked up if you miss out on one transfer. Remember this. Sometimes a coach stops playing on a certain transfer knowing that another coach is going to get him, so he puts his efforts elsewhere, or he stops recruiting the kid because he noticed a red flag. Remember, transfers can always work out well. But there's always a reason why they're transferring. So you got to make sure you get the right ones. Not all of them pan out. Just this season, Seton Hall thought Bryce Aiken was going to be their answer. It did not pan out. It did not pan out. So buckle up. This is a year-round sport. You got the right man in charge. I think he's going to make some different tweaks and tinkers to kind of figure out where he wants to go next. I think the Friars are going to be okay. The David Duke question is huge to how good they can be next year. I think they'll be right in the middle of the league of the Big East. Um, We'll see what happens. This is going to be an interesting, interesting offseason for Providence. They need to do some certain things to be a contender. Wise words from the great John Fanta. John, thank you so much for joining us. We love your play-by-play on Fox. We love it when you cover Friar games. I speak for all of us in Friar Town when I say that. Thank you for your passion. And of course, for that great Big East jacket you wore as well. John Fanta, thank you so much for coming on the Friar Podcast. Anytime. Love the Friar fans. Thanks for all the love. Thanks for all you guys chiming and commenting, rooting. It, it means the world to me. I'm forever grateful. 
Love coming on the Friar Podcast. And Billy, keep up the tremendous work. I enjoy listening. We'd like to thank everyone for listening to episode 14 of the Friar Podcast. And of course, a special thank you to our guest, Fox play-by-play broadcaster for college basketball, John Fanta. We are back again next week. And as always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at the Friar Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and give us five stars on Apple Podcasts as well as SoundCloud if you enjoy our content. And of course, go Friars. Go Friars.